Our guest this week is a talk media superstar who is ranked in the number three position on the 2023 Talkers Heavy 100 list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. He's seen every morning as one of the three co-hosts of the popular Fox News Channel TV show Fox and Friends. And he's heard on numerous stations across the country hosting his own daily midday program on Fox News Radio, among a number of other Fox projects and programs. He's the author of eight books, two about sports, and he's just published his sixth about key figures and stories in American history. Our guest subscribes to the tried-and-true adage, those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. He brings new insights into the lives, times, and impact of icons such as George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Andrew Jackson, Sam Houston, Abraham Lincoln, and Frederick Douglass. His latest book is titled Teddy and Booker T, How Two American Icons Blazed a Path for Racial Equality. Of course, the references to Theodore Roosevelt and Booker T. Washington. I recently engaged our guest in a conversation about his penchant for history, his growing body of historical literary work, and the deeply nuanced connection between these two giants, which so directly connects to the evolving dramatic relationship between the races currently on the front burner of the national conversation. Our guest this week is Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Interview, the weekly podcast from Podcast One, for media freaks, pop culture aficionados, political junkies, and the philosophically curious. Thank you for downloading this program from Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, the Podcast One app, Spotify, and Talkers Magazine. I can be reached directly via email at michaelattalkers.com. If you find this show to be of interest and value, please subscribe to it as well as giving it a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, here we go. An uninterrupted conversation with Brian Kilmeade. Brian, you are the uh, hardest working man in uh, media. I was going to say in radio, but uh, (laughs) you start your day off on television, which uh, I guess uh, means you have to at least look halfway decent as well as sound and think great and then you do radio and then you do other things haven't seen you since uh, our convention in the summer how you holding up how are you doing how are things good i mean uh when when the book comes out everything changes you don't want to miss any work and then the war in israel starts and then you know we will go live so the saturday show i'm usually able to tape on fridays but when you go live when the war starts you don't want to be taped they'll just preempt you every time so it's been an interesting run also, I've been watching my daughters play soccer um, upstate New York uh, in college. So I've been running back and forth there on weekends. So it's it's been a wild, it's been a fun, wild fall. You, you're a very special guy that uh, you seem to uh, be blessed with a tremendous amount of energy. Uh, <laughs> you've been told that before. Um, where does that come from? Um, I've always had pretty good endurance. I've never had great speed, but I've always had pretty good endurance. I just like what I'm doing, and I don't. Uh, I just, I just think it's feel the the work seems necessary. And I mean, I would be if I if I was working in a liquor store or a gym, I would I would definitely be efficient, but I wouldn't be as motivated because I just feel as though I'm lucky enough to have a job of consequence, mm-hmm. or, the, or at least I have myself under the illusion of that. And it makes me think there's always something else to read. There's something else to learn. There's some other show to do. Like, for example, during our show today, during Fox and Friends, they texted me and said, can you do the five? So, okay, can I do the five? 
just like a big gym. It's like, can you stay around and play baseball and run track? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's competing. It's, it's, it's fun, but you just got to make sure you have time to do it. So that's what, that's what Fox is. If you can go on the number one show on the network, which is the number one show on television, and in front of 2.2 million people, by just going, by staying an extra two hours, how could that be bad? Yeah, not true. And, uh, you know, you, you brought up time. Time management is a, is a big part of surviving in this high-speed era in which, uh, you know, we're all on some treadmill, one or, you know, one kind or another. Let's get down to the book that you've written. I got to congratulate you. I don't know, you know, with the whole time thing. And I suspect you really do write these books. I mean, <laughs> and, Thank and it, you. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they, your fingerprints are all over them, and, uh, and, and, and you're just that kind of guy. But, you know, you must be very interested in history and storytelling to be able to write such great books, one after the other, dealing with different aspects of history. So, again, before we get into the topic, um, tell me about your fascination for history, American history. So what I what I love doing to get context of what we're going through, people always say, you know, read things, you know, read biographies, understand you know, if a candidate's coming out, write to, writes a book, it's obviously going to be positive, but read the book if you can. So you get an idea of their person's childhood. And when Dave McCullough wrote Truman, I forgot what was first, Truman or Adams. And he wrote, he didn't just say, like, this guy accomplished this and he accomplished that and made me think that these people are from another planet. He wrote about the color of their hair, the high he was, that John Adams was a, was a little portly, and he, coming into New York City, they have quotes from Adams saying, why is everyone so rude and in a rush? When they talked about, when Harry, uh, when Harry Truman wrote a, a history book, he was so interested in history, he wrote about Jefferson. He said he was about 6'2", with reddish hair and freckles. Mm-hmm. Wait a second, these are human beings. And I thought, wow, and I could tell you exactly where they live. There's their house. I don't have to go to Rome. You know, you Mount Vernon, man, we can go to Mount Vernon and see where he walked. When he talked about standing on his porch, this is the porch he was talking about. This is the, where his body's buried. This is the land in which he had. I just I found that fascinating. It's almost like time travel in real time. And this is what he drank, and this is what he ate, and these are the, these are the, the, the problems he had. For example, people know Washington was always felt as own inferior because he didn't have the education of the other guys. He also didn't want to smile because of his teeth. He always felt uh, self-conscious about it. He always felt he had to prove himself. And I go, wait a second. Washington was, had vulnerabilities? That, to me, excited me because I could relate to them more. And I thought if I could find areas of history that John Meacham and Dave McCullough and Douglas Brinkley haven't hit and maybe ferry them to the biographies and the more in-depth, the 1,200-page Ron Chernow tombs about Grant, if I could... Bring bring two people to life and, br- and tell you how they made the country better. There might be a, there might be an audience there, and so far there has been. You know the idea that our icons, that our you know um, great American figures from Mount Olympus, so to speak, were just yeah. were just regular people. In one ways, it's eye opening and it's 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 informative. In another way, it makes you start to feel a little insecure. <laughs> That that we humans have nobody to look to but ourselves. You know, we all we all want larger than life figures and and gods, if you will. And uh, when you realize that the biggest names in our history, the people that we put on our money, the people that we look at as founding fathers, and all that, were were just regular 
people with human flaws, it makes you stop and uh, realize how important it is to be an informed voter and uh, to stay on top of things, that you can't just leave it to the other guys. Yeah. And have you noticed yeah. Have you noticed in your lifetime, as the years go by, that there is a difference between the way our leaders are judged contemporarily than they are as the years go by? That as time goes by, they take on larger than life stature. Even, you know, I was a kid. Dwight Eisenhower was president. You know, people go, ah, he's a lousy president. He's on the golf course, doesn't do. Now, Dwight Eisenhower. It's, it's so funny how history does that. So it's interesting that you penetrate that and show these people as human beings, as well as the great accomplishments that they contributed or or otherwise to our culture. I find that fascinating. I'm sure you've noticed it. Yeah, Yeah, I also noticed, too, that almost everybody, you know, whether you're an athlete or an actress or or a business person, they're always overcoming something, and it always makes them better, and it always seems terrible. So, you know, Booker T. Washington, uh, no one compared him to Frederick Douglass. I mean, they're born a slave. I'm not equating anything like that. That's the worst. He was nine years old. He was never had shoes, slept on the floor, one meal a day, same meal every day. That's a pretty terrible youth. But when I tell you in America, he became one of the most influential people in education history and as a leader known around the world, and somebody presidents went out of their way to know. And that's what led me to Teddy Roosevelt. And I'm thinking, well, how do I match these two? You realize with Teddy Roosevelt, this guy's asthma was so bad his parents were convinced he wasn't going, and doctors were convinced he wasn't going to survive childhood. And that's bad enough. Can you imagine just watching your child just lose his breath and just hold your breath, hoping they'll make another? And the other then we find out about intestinal issues from his great-grandson that he said he had trouble leaving the house. He had cholera of the intestines, whatever that meant, nothing good. And his dad said, listen, you've got a great mind, a terrible body. I'm like, wow, how does he overcome it? He ends up being this robust leader who had weights in his house and didn't want to waste a day. He wasn't boxing. He was learning jujitsu. He was he was hiking and he was challenging himself. And I go, that's really what we can relate to in America. Whatever that is, you could make your uh, your weakness your strength, or you could you or you could make it adequate. And if I could tell you that the people that are on Mount Rushmore had vulnerabilities and insecurities, I think it's actually motivating. Well, they had problems, too. Mm-hmm. Man, I, now I can really relate to these people. Absolutely. You know, Teddy Roosevelt, I understand, um, once was shot in the chest while making a speech. The bullet is embedded in his body. He's bleeding, and he continued for a long time and finished the speech. <laughs> it's, it's like, finished what? Finished the speech, went to the hospital. You <laughs> yeah. know what's so interesting? So after he went to the hospital, survived, did, almost bled out. They get, uh, he was able to survive it. But you know what's so interesting after? He said, for now on, I carried a gun. So oh, that? I got security. <laughs> I got a gun. So <laughs> you try your thing. I'm going to shoot you. The first, I'm going to shoot you first. The first liberal so who became a conservative after being mugged. <laughs> yeah. um, so, all right. Teddy and Booker T, how two American icons blazed a path for racial equality. Um, obviously, I'm not going to prove to you I read the book by reciting it to you. So, so let's let's look at it from a broad strokes position. Um, uh, Booker T was uh, a great, you know, Booker T Washington, named Washington because I think as a uh, uh, at that time he didn't even have a name. So uh, a lot of the African Americans took the name of the names of presidents. Um, Booker T. Washington, what role did he play uh, in terms of American civil rights and uh, race relations? 
what he did is he looked around. He didn't demonstrate. He didn't have sit-ins. He didn't give. Uh, uh, he didn't rally people against the status quo, which was terrible in the Jim Crow South and segregation that ensued, and the lynchings, unjust lynchings that took place, and the poll taxes that keep you away from voting. He said, "How do I make this better? How do I take a first generation, newly freed with no education, and educate the masses and the next generation? What kind of curriculum can I set up? How do I get them the drive that I have?" And instead of just graduating with a degree, let them know that if you graduate from my school, Tuskegee, you will learn a trade, much like Hampton. So you're going to be, whether you're going to be in farming, or you're going to be in construction, whether you're going to be a blacksmith, whatever it is, you can't graduate without a trade. Part of it was when he realized when he was a slave, when, they, when the African Americans left the plantation, and many didn't, but most did, they realized that the white people couldn't do anything. They could not do anything themselves. They almost felt bad for them, believe it or not. And they, he had to quickly make sure that everybody knew just because we're first-generation free, uh, free men of color, you, we still have to have skills. We have to be um, indispensable. I thought that was awesome. And then Teddy Roosevelt loved self-made men. When he read the story Up From Slavery, which turned me on to this story, if anyone listening right now wants an inspirational biography to give a context of America in 1880, just... Um, in 1850, 1860, all the way through, read up from slavery. This guy, Booker T. Washington, nine years old, he remembers being called to the central house on his plantation, being told by Union soldiers, you're free. And then as he makes the transition in our country, nobody's whitewashing anything. I'm not telling you that, that slavery didn't happen, though it wasn't too bad. I'm not saying segregation, oh, it's overblown. I'm not. But I'm telling you, there's a guy in there that changed things, a guy in there that had William McKinley speak at his commencement, had Teddy Roosevelt join the Tuskegee board, had Grover Cleveland call him one of the greatest Americans. Teddy Roosevelt felt the same exact way. Don't tell me you can't overcome obstacles in your life or society is too bad. I'll tell you a polarized society. We had it. Uh, and we still have to make strides, like everybody. But put in perspective how far we've come and how much better we are than almost every multicultural country in the history of this planet because of guys like Teddy Roosevelt and Booker T. Washington. Even though people listening to us, Michael, will know that there are some quotes from Teddy Roosevelt that shows he had blind spots about race. Well, that happens when your mom uh, is from the South whose brothers fought for the Confederacy. His, him and his mom were really close. You don't think she picked up any, value, any statements that were, were untrue? Mm -hmm. racially chins from his and, mom who thought they were true that and, blacks and whites were different and also of it's course, very it's very but he overcame it it's very difficult to judge people from 100 years later to 150 yes. years later um if you weren't part of the culture i can imagine how we're going to be judged 200 years from now uh for some of the things we do that we consider to be normal there's so yeah. much hypocrisy in that and uh you know judge not lest ye be judged and all of that stuff uh, it, it really comes into play uh, when I see so many people from different eras now being judged by today's um, uh, controversial standards, uh, it, it makes you roll your eyes and go, oh, gosh, you know, <laughs> there's such a lack of understanding of the bigger picture of human history and culture. I hope we grow out of this. I, I, I you know do, I mean, too. Taking down statues and, I, you know, it's beginning to slow down now. I hope people sober up. They took down Teddy Roosevelt. You're not in New York anymore, Michael, but, uh, you know, they moved Teddy Roosevelt's statue uh, from the Museum of Natural History. Quite aware of that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's very, um, it, it's, it's, it's troubling, yeah, without, without question. So, all right, we, we basically know who Theodore Roosevelt uh, is or was, and uh, although 
considering we're now in the era of Trump, uh, it's very interesting comparing certain things about Roosevelt and Trump. I wish you could do a thing where the two of them met <laughs> on some ethereal plane and uh, shared a few notes. Uh, but um, let's discuss, let's get elementary here. Um, a lot of people think the Emancipation Proclamation freed the slaves and that was it and everything was good and, and black people were free and um, there was some discrimination, blah, blah. And then you hear the word Jim Crow and Jim Crow laws. Uh, legalizing discrimination in the South. Uh, for the sake of uh, me not being embarrassed to ask you, what is the Jim Crow thing all about? What does that represent? Because a lot of people just don't know. Could you give us a quick overview? Of- it basically separated the races. It basically said, oh, you're going to go to separate schools. You're going to work. You're going to live in separate areas. We will no longer... Uh, we will no longer be a mixed society, which was the intention after the Civil War. What happened is, and I, I did not, I think this is so underplayed, there was a huge, tell me if you heard this before, controversy around the presidential election. And it was Rutherford B. Hayes uh, who ended up winning this election because it was a compromise uh, with uh, Samuel Tilden, uh, former governor of New York. And he said, listen, uh, Republicans win this. There were so many, we're just coming together as a country, there's so many problems with each state and all the election precincts, we call them precincts now, that they could not come up with a winner. They're coming, so they're going back and forth, and they finally made a deal to save the country and stop a new civil war. So let's do a compromise. We'll let you, Republican Rutherford B. Hayes, be president. But in turn, I want the Union troops out of the South. And uh, we want to make our, we want to go back to governing ourselves. They said, okay, fine, just realize you know, everyone's free, everyone's equal. That's what we're building towards. They go, fine. They didn't keep their word. Right away, in comes these segregations. Right away, here comes these, the, K, the emergence of the KKK. All real. All saying, okay, with the African-American vote, which means so much, they had politicians coming down doing, uh, starting things like, like Tuskegee. All of a sudden, they're saying, I don't think you're going to vote today, or else your family uh, house just might go on fire. Not everywhere in the South that are listening to us am I condemning everyone in Georgia and South Carolina and Mississippi and in Louisiana. I'm not saying that, but in a lot of places, yes. And Andrew Johnson was not enforcing things that were earned through the Civil War. And then you have uh, Ulysses S. Grant straighten everything out to a degree. And then in comes his controversial election, which Grant had to mediate because he was done with his two terms. And the South, the Reconstruction virtually stopped on a dime. And the South stopped making progress on race relations. If you had Lincoln lived in the 1860s, we wouldn't have needed the 1960s. But there was no sense of equal rights in the South. There were influential, wealthy African Americans who would overcome things, but they needed leaders to stand up and show people how erroneous it was to separate people by race and judge them uh, by the color and say that blacks are less than whites or vice versa. And you needed to show people you didn't need violence. You know, violence needed to be avoided. Showing people the error of their ways is what Booker T. Washington tried to do. And what he also tried to do, add to that, is he got a lot of critics. How are you tolerating these lynchings? How are you tolerating this injustice? How are you tolerating these poll taxes? And he said, I'm living through it. I'm changing it incrementally through my, the graduates here, through showing the production and telling people how, uh, what African Americans are actually capable of. And guys like W.E.B. Du Bois became harsh critics of him. Uh, Al Sharpton would recoil at Booker T. Washington because he's all about overcoming obstacles, being a self-made man, and embracing 
the things that stay in your way because in the end, you'll be a better person for it. In fact, one of the quotes, if I could paraphrase from Booker T. Washington, was, there's no doubt it's harder for a Negro man than a white man in America. But by overcoming the obstacles to achieving success, we come through it stronger than any other man on the other side. So that's looking at a situation, saying it's more challenging, but then overcoming it. And that's what Teddy Roosevelt loved. So I love this guy. I love what he's doing for the country. He's not trying to make himself rich. He's trying to change a country. Hmm. So, so Booker T. Washington was sort of a, um, a precursor to what today we call black conservatives. Not all of them the same, but that's generally a theme that runs uh, uh, through the African-American no community um, or population. I hate to say the word community. It indicates a small number. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and Roosevelt was called a progressive. Now, he was a Republican. Uh, terminology is a funny thing, isn't it? Uh, how was Teddy Roosevelt a Republican and a progressive? And, and how does that relate to today's politics? Well, I mean, number one, uh, he's an environmentalist. He was, he was the one who set up the state parks. He was the one who loved nature. He's the one who loved to hunt. So that would turn on the Second Amendment guys. He was always going into Africa and shooting things and going into the Midwest and uh, living off the land. For a rich guy to be able to do that after the death of his his wife and his mom on the same day in the same house, he cleared his head that way. And then he was breaking up corporations, so they got way too much power, and they've, they've consolidated way too much wealth. That wouldn't make a lot of Republic, traditional Republicans happy. Maybe today's uh, day they, they might. So he would also have a huge heart for the little guy, for the first-generation immigrants. I mean, when he was police chief, he went around with a photographer slash journalist, and they shed the light on immigrants and child labor where kids were coming over here from other countries and put in small apartments to roll cigars. He was going out for them. He was for law and order. He, he reorganized police departments. So that's one way. So it's, you go ahead. You criticize him. But for every time you criticize him, there'll be something he does on the other side that makes you think he's a staunch traditional Republican. And now I know the sides keep flipping back and forth on what it means to be each party member. But, you know, I've had people do interviews go, well, I don't like Teddy Roosevelt. I'm like, okay. At 15, what he accomplished at his age, he passed away at the age of 60. I wish people would usually do in three lifetimes. And he always did what he thought was right for the country, not for himself, even though Mark Twain did not like him, thought he was too much of a self-promoter. So I do think Teddy Roosevelt's an interesting character, but like Trump, Everyone thought he was just too primitive and not worthy of the positions he got, too boisterous and outgoing. That's not, the way you, that's not the way you handle power. That's why when he was governor of New York, he was flipping tables and turning over chairs and refused to be paid off. And they go, uh, we're going to find a way to elevate him right out of here. And it was to be vice president. And he thought, wow, this is the worst thing ever, but how do I turn it down? McKinley gets shot and becomes president. Yeah, and he became president, the youngest man ever to be president of the United States. Uh, Kennedy was the youngest man elected because when uh, when his when he finished out McKinley's term, he had um, he was older than John Kennedy was. But you know, it's funny as we look at him, uh, those pictures with the little glasses and the big. The, just the big presence. He wasn't as big as he appeared to be for some reason. I, I remember as a kid growing up, I thought of him as big and old and scary. This is me at 11. I was into, I was into politics and history and that's, and I lived, I lived near Sagamore Hill. So I, I was into, te, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy. And <laughs> I was into Teddy. And, uh, but 
he was a kid. He, he was he was young um, when he became uh, president. Uh, I find that to be uh, an interesting thing uh, when we deal right now with the issue of um, people's age and how appropriate uh, that may be and the part of both leading candidates uh, for president today. Uh, quickly, uh, how did Booker T and Teddy uh, Roosevelt, uh, how did they interact? Was Booker T an advisor to him or? Yep. Yeah, an advisor over the last, for all the whole seven and a half years, uh, mm-hmm. whether it was naming the postmaster or judge key judges in locations. Uh, one of the things that Teddy Roosevelt says that Booker, you know the South. Uh, don't tell me about the person's gender or the color. Just give me the best person. And he said, you got it. And famously, and I talk about it in the book, when they went out to dinner, it was a national, uh, it was a national controversy in many sections of the country. Now, black men eating with the, the president whose family is all white. They thought that was a big scandal back then. Uh, shows you how far we've come. It made them realize you just got to do things that aren't going to upset the apple cart, but change America in a way that's possible and not idealistically. And, you know, they didn't think there was any big deal about it until one reporter spotted Booker T. Washington's name for dinner in the guest book, wrote it, and then you saw, and it's in the book, all the scathing headlines around the country, that they're afraid that black men will try to try to do everything now. Hmm. Of course they should be able to do everything. But back then the perceptions were different, but Booker T. Washington wanted to change it, and he did by his actions. I just think, too, Michael, in researching this, how many people just saw him? and change their opinions on what races are capable of. How many people saw those two together and, and would see that, you know, see Teddy Roosevelt giving a commencement address at Tuskegee and thought, man, they treat each other equal. Why am I not treating everybody equal? Mm. There will never be a stat for that. There will never be a Gallup poll that showed it. But some, by, by example, yeah. they moved America forward. It's called role models. That's <laughs> leaders, yeah. leaders have to keep that in mind, not just political leaders, leaders in sports, leaders in uh, culture. Yeah, should should take in, uh, into account that they're influencing other people and, and, and not just kids. They're, they're, int- they're influencing other adults and, uh, by, by how they act. Um, I want to just touch upon one other thing. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, he won his election. Then he uh, left the office. He handpicked his next uh, president. He tried to run the Republican Party from afar, uh, William Howard Taft. Uh, and then those two split. And then uh, Teddy came back and wanted to run again. And he split the Republican Party and uh, with his progressive party, the Bull Moose Party. And uh, Taft uh, wasn't as dynamic a figure. So what winds up happening is the Democrat who probably never would have been elected if it weren't split, uh, Woodrow Wilson became president. Do you see, just in the the way this crazy election of tw- this unpredictable election of 24, uh, 24 is uh, is unfolding, that we can have a similar situation with um, parties being split by you know candidates from left field? Yeah, I mean Teddy ended up getting more more votes than Taft, but not enough as Wilson. And Wilson came in and basically told uh, everybody, I'm so proud I was at Princeton and didn't let one black person in. He was somebody who told Booker T. Washington, don't even try. He actually wanted to push back against women the white to, right to vote. Uh, so America took a, different, uh, to, took a different direction with the Democratic president than they would have done with Teddy. Uh, but he made amends with the Republican Party. He was all set to run until he fell ill and shockingly died one night. Mm-hmm. And they were making set at 60, he was going to have another chapter, which would have been interesting with the experience he had and what he had learned. 
um, and then to to come back again. But again, he, he passes away, so that changed American history again. But you could see it happening. RFK, Jill Stein, uh, you see Cornell West, Joe Manchin, uh, all of them thinking about getting in or in. You know, RFK's not going anywhere. Uh, I can't see... Uh, Cornell West going anywhere. It just doesn't seem like somebody that goes along with anybody. Uh, he'll do his own thing. And Jill Stein already showed that she'll last through an election. So you're talking about 1%, 2%, 1%, 2%. And you do that in a few states, and it changes the outcome. I mean, there are people that believe, and maybe you're one of them, Michael, that Al Gore lost because of Ralph Nader. And if you talk to Hillary Clinton, she lost because of Jill Stein. I had a big debate. Uh, I had several debates with Ralph Nader over that. He absolutely refuses to believe that, and I'm not sure where you stand on that, but I do believe that Ralph Nader, Nader was a major contributory force in uh, Al Gore losing that election. Do, do you disagree with that? Yeah, I didn't look at the numbers. It's been so long, mm-hmm. but if you think just the 1% or 2% here and there, that would do it And in Florida. You know, the the right words, they did a total recount of Florida, and he ended up winning, but I forgot what exactly he did, but that's what they always claimed. We haven't heard... You know, we didn't hear much from him after that. So, but and to Al Gore's credit, he went away. I mean, Donald Trump could have learned a lot from how to lose by Al Gore. Even though I find him an annoying, self-important individual, it, I, I do respect the way he uh, closed it out. Do you find yourself um, having to deal with uh, internal conservative movement, politics, and diplomacy by having anything critical to say about Donald Trump at this point? Well, I mean, I do anyway, and he doesn't like it, but I mean, I, I don't think you have any credibility. If, every, if you pretend that everything Donald Trump says is right, that means nothing's right. That means you just throw out all objectivity. That means when you say, wow, man, I love this policy of the border. Oh, do you? Because you didn't say anything about January 6th. January 6th was an abomination, totally avoidable uh, catastrophe. It was overdone, overplayed. That January 6th committee was a big show and was actually produced by a TV producer. But it doesn't mean I think that January 6th was, you know, wasn't terrible. It was a totally avoidable. The way Trump acted after the election was awful. He'd be up with no primary opponents by 15 points now if he said, I don't, I'm not happy with this election. There's some things about this I'm not happy with, but I will be back. And when he came back, he's already up three or four points. Can you imagine if there was no January 6th? Hmm. Then the, the, he'd get the fuel of the civil trials and the political ha- uh, hatchet jobs without any uh, fear. Imagine if he just uh, signed out the documents. But that doesn't mean I don't think he, uh, most of the roster of his presidency, we wouldn't take all of that now. So I just think you have no credibility if you pretend that all the, it was a good idea to take the documents. If uh, that speech was a good idea, if not going with your established attorneys and going with Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell was smart. But what was smart? Getting rid of sanctuary cities or trying to. What was smart? Building up, uh, building up our military. What was smart? The trade deals. I think you can do all those things and be an effective communicator and a good host. Wow. I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate hearing this uh this critical thinking on your part, I think it's very needed right now. And I think that uh, you're exactly where um, we all need to be in terms of um, the national conversation. Um, I, I think that the era that we're in right now will prove to be a heyday for some future Brian Kilmeade writing books a uh, hundred years from now. <laughs> I mean, they're going to really have fun with this era, uh, which brings me to the final question. Um, 
uh, most of the people, I don't know most of, many of the people listening to this conversation are professional media people, not just in the United States, but around the world. And um, one of the things that I'm inspired by, by you, is the fact that you are writing books, that you're a, you're a talk show host on radio and television, and a big one. You're doing really, really well. And you find the time to always have a new book about history about to be published or published, and then you work really hard in promoting it and getting into the weeds, talking about the historic issues. And as a result, you're generating information and uh, interest in history and in books. So I ask you, is there a future for authors in this country uh, to think about writing books and maybe be able to make a living at it or to have it have some kind of value? Or are we on our way to books being something that is more than the average human being can deal with with shortened attention span? And um, well, I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, Audible's is through the roof. And uh, I know that everyone's, they say that uh, this is the golden age of audio. You would know better than anybody, but the mm-hmm. Audible, uh, those audio books are doing fantastic. I also think I walk into every bookstore I walk in, I always ask how business is. Mm-hmm. And people, there's some really encouraging things. Books are still hot. And I think anyone who thought it was all going to be ebooks, even though I prefer ebooks, it helps me with studying and getting notes and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people don't. Most people want to hold the book. And I, I was just, just the other day, I was in a, a local bookstore. They said they have had a fantastic year, a local independent bookstore. I'm going to be, um, you know, be going to the Bush Library and traveling around the country, going to Michigan and Pennsylvania doing shows where I talk about all the books on stage. And it's on my website, BrianKillMe.com. At which time I always look at the bookseller. They'll show up in the back and I'll say, well, how's everything going? What's hot? And I'm hearing less complaints now than ever. So there is a there's a future uh, in reading. <laughs> and there you have it. An uninterrupted conversation with Fox News radio and television personality Brian Kilmeade. His new book is titled Teddy and Booker T, How Two American Icons Blazed a Path for Racial Equality. Thank you for downloading this program from Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Podcast One app, and Talkers Magazine. I can be reached directly via email at michael at talkers.com. If you find this show to be of interest and value, please subscribe to it as well as giving it a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison, the Michael Harrison Interview. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Interview is a co-presentation of Podcast One and Talkers Magazine, produced by Good Phone Communications, copyright 2023, all rights reserved.